All right. Hey, welcome back. Uh, we will get started. It is awesome to have you here. I hope you got a chance to see a few good people. Um, apologies again that we missed last week. Four weeks is too long to be away. I don't know if you felt that, but after like last Sunday, I was like, I just want to be back together again with my community. So it's really awesome to be able to see everybody and um, start in again. Uh, today we are starting a new series. It's a very short series. It's only going to go for a couple of weeks. Um, but as I've been praying, um, you know, this is our first Sunday of the year. Um, this is our first chance to kind of look ahead and kind of set our vision and our culture. We talked a lot about those kind of discussions back in October around where God was calling us. And over the break, I've been reflecting on that and just felt like there was this impression that as we started the year, there were just these two things God really placed on my heart for us to be able to focus in on. In many ways, to keep the first things first, to keep the priorities, the priorities, keep the main thing, the main thing. And so today we're gonna to talk a little bit about what that might be for us as a church and what that could even be for you in your life, in your year and what you've got going on. We're gonna to begin today by reading some first words in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open them up with me. I want us to start by reading this introduction to this Gospel. And I really think that today God wants to meet with us and speak to you in a really personal and transformative way. So we're gonna start in verse one in the, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. In verse one, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. See, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to it. But the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Jesus, as we read those words about you, those first words, I pray that today you will open up our hearts to hear from you. More than just to hear some good ideas or some quick tips for tomorrow, Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us today. So we open up our hearts and our minds and pray that you would speak. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Now, we find this passage, it's at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. And if you don't know much about the Bible, there are four books that are called Gospels. And these Gospels focus on telling the story of Jesus. And um, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid at school, I, I, didn't, I didn't hate all of my schooling. Um, there, but there was one, one element of, of class that I just could not stand. And that was language and grammar. Anyone else? Anyone else hate that at school? A few? A few? The worst, thank you, thank you. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. There's solidarity. For me, the worst one was there was this thing that our teachers made us do, which was, uh, I don't know if that was a Kiwi thing or if it was just an American thing, but we had to diagram our sentences. Did any of you guys ever do this? No? <gasps> you have been blessed. <laughs> you have been highly blessed. Because do you know what diagramming sentences is? It takes the worst bits of math and the worst bits of language and marries them together in an unholy union that brings bane and ire upon children. You literally had to diagram the sentence. So you had to put the subject here and then you had to draw a line. You had to put the verb here. Adverbs had to go off of here like a graph chart and adjectives had to go on this part over here. And you literally turned a sentence into a math equation. And I hated it. What, Annie, really? What, Brooke? Lord bless you. It was the worst. Um, and so there were all these things, but there was one thing in my language class that I always remember sticking with me, and it's helped me actually quite a bit, which was when it came to writing essays, there was one thing that they always say. When you're writing an essay, what's the first thing you need to write? It's your introduction, right? And what's the purpose of an introduction? Anyone who's done any essay writing, any teachers in the house, what's the purpose of an essay, of an introduction? Sorry? Yep, tell them what's gonna happen. Tell them what they need to know about. Tell them the most important thing so that they keep on reading, right? And any of you who have been teachers or graders know how frustrating it is when you get an essay that doesn't have an introduction because you're reading it like, what is this person talking about? You have no idea where they're going. So introductions are incredibly important, and that's a rule that doesn't just sit with English. That goes all the way back to Socrates. He talked about how to structure a story. And the introduction, the first thing you say is so important. And here, what we just read was the introduction to the Gospel of John. And it's here that John wants to say the most important thing for you to know. Because let's be honest, you may not read the whole thing, right? We all got low attention spans. Back then, you might not have been able to sit through a whole reading because not everybody could read, right? So he, he opens up with the most important thing that he can tell you, the key part of his gospel. Did you catch what it was? In this opening sentence, John makes a claim that is huge, earth-shattering, world-changing. He makes this huge absolute statement that if true, changes everything you know about the whole world. It changes what we think about reality, it changes what you think about your identity, it changes what you think about your job. Everything is different because of this one core statement that John has said. God's here. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's this crazy thought. See, often when we think about faith or religion, it, you know, it's a bit high and mighty, right? Like God's up there watching to see if we do bad things down here. And then if we do bad things down here, he's 
naughty, naughty, you know? And so we have to be good for God up there. We often think of those high and low terms. God is distant, and we're down here trying to please him. But John is flipping the tables on that, and he's saying, no, 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 that's not actually how it is. God's not up there anymore. That's the whole point of this introduction. In the beginning was the word, and it was up there, but now the word has been made flesh and dwells among us. God is here, walking around us, interacting with us, changing our world, changing our perceptions, talking to us, relating to us as a person. And it's crazy. I mean, most of us, if you're a Christian in church, you're like, well, of course that's supposed to be good. But it's actually really hard to understand. Do you know how we know how it's hard to understand? John tells us it was hard to understand. Did you catch that? The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and, the, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And so today I want to talk about how do we deal and grapple with this idea that God is with us. So for them, when you look back, at any point in history, it's kind of crazy to claim that God is here and he's going to Sainsbury's, right? Or he's going down to New World. Sorry, Sainsbury's. I was in the wrong country. <laughs> I apologize. Thank you. The UK people hear me. God was at Tesco's and Asda. Woohoo! Um, eating prawn cocktail chips. I lived in the UK for a few years and I don't know why I thought I was back there. Um, it's a bit of a controversial thought to think that God is here and he's down at Pack and Save grabbing some kai for some food later, right? Like if someone told you that, it feels a bit crazy. And for centuries, people struggled to understand this. Around Jesus' time, there were three different kind of key groups within that society, and they all struggled to understand this concept. Hardly anyone understood that God was actually, that God would be audacious enough to actually be with us. See, there was this upper class group called the Sadducees. They were the ruling elite. They were in charge of the temple. They were the ones who were brokering deals with Rome at the time they were under Roman occupation. So the Sadducees were the ones that would negotiate with Rome, that would kind of work out the deals, how much tax that they paid. And the Sadducees desperately wanted to see a strong, independent Israel where they could gain their own nation, they could run their own tax laws, they could run their own immigration policies, they could do their own COVID evacuation plans, like they could do the whole thing themselves, right? And so for them, if you talk to a Sadducee, around like God's coming and God's moving, they were waiting for God to do something big politically. If God was gonna come, then surely God is gonna come by restoring our nation. If God's gonna come, then surely he's gonna kick out the Romans and he's gonna establish the priesthood, which conveniently the Sadducees would have been at the top of the pecking order for. Convenient how that works out sometimes, eh? And they were ready for God to come in and move and do these big things. But then Jesus shows up and does none of that. They goad him into getting into fights with Rome. They lay traps for him to kind of call down Roman imperialism, and every single time he sidesteps them. Somehow God was doing something different from what the Sadducees wanted. Another group was the Pharisees. It's a, a name we're probably most familiar with, right? If the Sadducees were like the ruling elite, the Pharisees were like the street preachers that everybody watched their YouTube live streams of, right? Like no one watched Jacinda's live stream, but everybody watches Billy T's. Like the Pharisees were more on that level. And so they had these synagogues all over and they had cultural power. And for the Pharisees, they knew God was coming and they knew God was gonna act, but how was God gonna act in their lives? Well, God was gonna restore the law. 
there was this cultural Jewishness that if you followed the Torah, if you followed the laws well enough, if you went to synagogue enough, if you memorized enough scriptures, if you embedded yourself in true Jewish culture well enough, then God would come. Then we'd see how God was working amongst us. God for them was almost a cultural idea in many ways. Yeah, I mean, he was there up there in the sky, but day to day, it's the cultural stuff that matters. And so then Jesus comes along and they expect him to fit this mold. People talk about him being a Messiah, the son of God, but he doesn't. Instead, he, he actually starts messing with all their programs. He goes into the temple and he starts flipping tables. And then it's the Sabbath when you're not supposed to do any work and Jesus is out there healing people. They call him up on it and he's like, who's more important, the Lord of the Sabbath or the Sabbath? And he starts breaking apart some of the cultural Jewish ideas that they had. And all the Pharisees are like, nah, that's not God. God wouldn't work that way. God's this cultural idea. And then there was like just the ordinary folk, farmers, workers, laborers. They prayed that God would move and act. But if they're honest, they kept on looking up at the temple up on the hill. And they felt like God was just utterly inaccessible to the average Joe. Like God was just so far from the day-to-day -day concerns of planting, reaping, taxes, marriage, the stuff that actually we spend most of our time thinking about. God's too high and mighty for that. He's on the temple. He's not gonna meet us here. Yet where do we find Jesus? Predominantly spending most of his time, not necessarily at the temple, but in the towns and the villages. What are the illustrations that Jesus gives? They're not just high and mighty theological stories, stories about fish, planting, marriage, taxes. And somehow he begins to work in these spaces. But for so many people, when God was there, they missed it. And I think if we're honest, it can be really easy for us now, 2,000 years later, to still think the same thing. Um, I have this weird tick that I would like to not do, but I always seem to do. Um, often, before I was a, a pastor, I did some training at Cary Theological College, and before that I worked with an organization called Youth with a Mission, where we did lots of training and we had lots of teachers and speakers. And there was this thing that I did that always frustrated me, but it happened every time which was whenever someone who I thought was important or that I, I was really impressed by came around, I just became an idiot, just an utter idiot. Like I can't tell you how many times this would happen to me is like at YWAM we would like, someone would teach and then we'd all share a communal meal and so this guy would speak and I'd be like, this guy's amazing, he's got so many cool ideas, I've got so many cool questions I wanna ask him. And then I'd sit down to lunch and then the guy would sit in front of me and then I'd be like, I, ha, um, how's lunch? God damn it. And it happened at Carrie too. When I was training at my Baba college, I'd meet some of these lecturers who are so smart and they blew my mind with what they know about the gospel. And I just desperately wanted to ask them more questions. I desperately wanted to learn more from them. But then I'd sit around the table from them and I'd be like, how's the, the, the day? But, but do you want some water? Oh no, I can't do this. Anyone else relate to that? Is it just me? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a few others. This is one of the things I've been thinking about this week, is that often when there's these people who are important and there's this big presence that I'm aware of, I can notice a change in my attitude. 
my expectations change or my nervousness change or I'm, I'm different. There's a, a real reality of we like to, th- I'm a pastor and I like to think that God is with me. It's not often I have that sense of God's presence, the great Jesus, who's so much greater than any of these teachers or lecturers, the one who formed all of the heavens and the earth walking with me. It's so easy, isn't it? You wake up in the day and yeah, you might read a scripture and you might wanna have a good thought, but does that sense of God's presence with you carry with you? I think it's really, really hard. For some of us, we're really good at that, but for some of us, we may struggle. And I think in modern society, that's increasingly difficult. I think it's increasingly difficult in a secular society to think of a living, present, active God around us moving and changing things. I mean, um, Andrew Root, who's a good sociologist, he says that God could be something more than just an idea, that God could be a personal force that exists apart from our natural and material world, outside of our individual paths of authenticity, uh, placing as living beings do demands on our lives, that God could do that. Well, in increasingly secular modern New Zealand, that can often feel like a dubious claim at best, eh? Because we have all the answers that we think. We've got all of our science books, and God doesn't act because here's all these things that we do. And that's not that science is bad. Science is great. And then we've got, like, all these psychology books that are telling us, well, this is how we're feeling, and this is the internal emotion that you're going through. And that's not bad. Psychology books are really, really helpful. But the danger is in modern society, we've almost removed the idea that God could actually be a living, present being working in our lives. And so when you listen to people talk about faith, often the way that this changes is it's no longer, see, John thinks of faith as God's here, God's with us, and God's doing something. And he's doing something amazing, you better get ready for it. But often when we talk about faith, it's, well, do you have this belief system? Do you believe in these theological truths? Do you have this right idea? Do you have these values in mind? Maybe like the Pharisees, do you have these cultural concepts? Do you come to church? Are you a church attender? Are you a church member? Do you say the right Christian words? Do you do the right Christian activities? And if we're not careful before long, God is no longer, like John says, a person who's changing things. God's just an idea. A good idea, a helpful idea, an encouraging idea, maybe a calming idea, but perhaps just an idea. And then once God is an idea, everything around starts to change. I mean, when you come to church, if God's just an idea, then what you're coming for is to hear some good messages that are slightly edgy, that help you feel a little bit better about your week. And you want a good kids program that keeps your kids entertained. And uh, you want it to fit well into your life so it doesn't bother too many things. And if you're looking for that, it's going to be inherently dissatisfying, at least here at Golden Sands. If that's what you're looking for, you will get frustrated very quickly. It's just, we're not that good. I'm not that good. Our volunteers aren't that good. We don't have that much to us. Andrew Root says, in a world without divine action, faith becomes about participation in and affiliation with just the right church. One that provides the services and ideas that everyone in our family needs to be safe, hip, and authentic. The reason I wanted to bring this is first things first, as we start the year, what are we here for? What are we hoping to see happen? What are we wanting to see God do in our community and in our lives? 
Because the danger is, just like John was talking about, is that we may miss God by turning him into an idea, by turning him into a good value set, by turning him into a good moral system that we want our kids to grow up in so they don't do the naughty when they're 18, right? Like, it's so easy for God to become that. And if it does become that, you will be dissatisfied by faith, this church, and all those things, because ideas will not satisfy you. And John knew that when he spoke. What did John say? The word became an idea so that you can feel good about it. The word became a good value system that you can teach your kids. The word became a cultural Christian system that everyone can feel united without having to go too deep with one another. No, the word became flesh and dwelt with us, joins with us. Now, we'll begin to wrap this up. I just want to talk about this word dwelling. Now, many of you know this, because if God is with us, how is God with us? How do we find him? How do we see him is then the big question. And the danger is, is that like the ordinary people, we assume that God's just going to be in the temple, that God's just going to be in the high spaces, that he's just going to be in, on Sunday services, that he's just going to be there when you've done the right things, or he's just going to be there for you once you've apologized for the things you're sorry for, or he's just going to do that for you once you've gone through all the right hoops. But this word that John uses is really intentional. That word dwelling, he makes his dwelling, actually comes from a Greek word that actually means tabernacle. He's tabernacled with us. Now, tabernacle, if you're not a Christian, is one of the funnest words to say ever. Just try it. Say it. Tabernacle. It's fun, isn't it? I'm going to teach my five-year-old that word. Tabernacle is actually this word for this tent. When, the, when Israel first came out of Egypt, God restored them, took them out as slaves out of Egypt. And then they're in the desert trying to figure out how to become a new people. And what they did is at the center of their camp, they built what they called their tabernacle. It was basically a fancier tent. And it was a tent where God dwelt with them. It looked a bit like, kind of like this. And you can imagine all around in the desert, there's just tents of people. All around, this whole nation gathered around this one other tent. And I love this image so much. Because God is tenting with us. Now, if you've been tenting, that is, that is a different experience from most other holidays, isn't it? How many, I mean, there's some of you who are glampers and you're only going to go in huts. It's another experience to go tenting. Um, for me, my clearest memories of tenting have this cultural concept of Easter camps and mostly tenting with a bunch of youth. I did it at Easter camps up in, um, in the UK, where Sainsbury's was. And then I also did it uh, here in New Zealand, where you'd get 5,000 kids and a whole youth group, and we'd all go tenting together. And as a leader, you kind of go and you get in that space, and you set up your tent, and your tent is right in amongst all the other tents. And tenting is not a particularly holy feeling event, really, in many ways. You don't get to put on good, a good face when you're tenting with people, do you? You don't get to do your whole makeup routine. You don't get to do your whole primping. You don't always get the showers that you want. And then especially when you're tenting with teenage boys, the overwhelming scent of links is ever-pervading. It is always there, links and BO, fusing into this unique scent. Huh? It's always links. It's guaranteed links every time. And so links, it fuses into this scent that makes you think of Easter camp and God, and now that makes you feel weird. Um, but there's this idea that when you're tenting with people, 
And as a leader, when I'm tenting there with the youth that I was with, you're with them. You're with them through thick and thin. You can hear them when they're still talking at 1 a.m. and you're like, please stop talking. And then you get the joy of being with them at 7 a.m. as you wake up and start talking loudly just to annoy them. <laughs> You're tenting with them in the days when they don't shower. You're tenting with them when they want some space and they've had a hard day. You can still be right next door to them. You're tenting them. You get the muck, their dirt on your stuff. You lose your clothes with their clothes. It all becomes intermingled. When you're tenting, you are down in the thick of it. And so what John is saying is that when God came to be amongst us, God does not dwell in just high holy places. God does not dwell in places that are far removed from your humanity. God's living presence is not distance from your day-to-day -day ordinary activity. No, God is tenting with you. God is tenting with all of us. And God is interested in changing and transforming all of our lives. And so as we begin this year, can I invite the team up? We're just gonna finish with a song in a second. So Dan and Kim. Um, I just had this sense that I wanted to commend to us as we began this year. If we are just thinking of God as just a good idea, as just a good value set, as just some theological truths that you hold in the back of your mind that helps form part of your identity, can I call you to John's understanding of the gospel? Because it is more than that. It is categorically more than that. John's claim is that right now in your life, in your day-to-day -day moments, not just the idea of God, but the living present God who formed everything and knows everything is wanting to walk with you. He wants to walk with you through your joys and your celebrations. He wants to walk you through your victories and your goals. And as your families grow and develop, he wants to be there. He wants to walk with you in your pain and your sorrow, in your fear and in anxiety as he tents with you. The muck of your life gets splattered onto him as he walks right with you. So church, I just wanted to start this year with a very simple message. God is here. God is reaching out to you. And God wants to bring the life-changing, resurrecting power of Jesus into your life this year. Not just as an idea, not just to get you to come to church on Sundays, but in a way that transforms your life. If we, could, if we would know that, our lives would look different, wouldn't they? You'd think about your anxieties and your fears differently if you knew that the God of the universe was walking right next to you in that moment. You'd think through your goals and your value system, what's really important? Well, it's different when Jesus himself is sitting in the chair right next to you. The struggles you face, the challenges that are there with your family, your friends, your own internal headspace, your own mental health, those are different when Jesus is with you because the God who knows and loves you is there. And so today, I want us to give us a chance to open ourselves up to that. And for some of you, if perhaps you're not a Christian, perhaps you haven't followed faith for a long time, you're on the edges of church, that's fine. Maybe you've never thought about it. Can I encourage you, maybe today is a chance to invite God in.
to say, look, God, if you are here, as you promised to be, reveal yourself to me. Maybe today is a first step where you could begin to think about those things. Because I promise a simple prayer like, God, would you just show up? Would you tent with me? Those prayers are powerful. Many of us here have prayed those simple prayers and found our lives utterly transformed by Jesus. And so if you're on the edges of faith, perhaps today is a day where you can pray that prayer. And for those of us who've been around the church circuit a long time, I'm one of you. I've heard all the sermons. I've heard too many, just like you. Can I wake us up from our normality and our day-to-day routines? God is not just an idea. He's not. He's not just some truths on a piece of paper. He is a real life, flesh, blood person. Jesus is real and he is wanting to walk with us. Can I encourage you to seek him again? Not the idea of him, him in your life. And so what I want us to do is if, um, maybe we can stand together. And if you're comfortable, maybe we can pray this prayer together praying that God would begin to open up our eyes to see him and to know him. If you need more of God, if you want to see him as more than an idea, or maybe you want to welcome him into your life for the very, very first time, then can I encourage you right now to pray a very simple prayer, which is just this. God, Would you show yourself to me? That's it. Just God, would you show yourself to me? If you need more of God, if you want to wake up to his reality and let that transform your year, then pray that simple prayer, God, show yourself to me. If you are desperate and you're at your wit's end and everything seems dark and difficult, pray, God, show yourself to me because Jesus is the power of resurrection. He promises that death is not the end. It does not get the last word. The hardships that you face will not last because he has overcome them. There is a different story when Jesus walks with you. And so if you long for more of God in your heart or your mouth, just pray, simple, you can just say it. God, show yourself to me. Let me pray, and then I'm going to invite the team to lead us through a song to give us a chance to respond to God.